Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrian Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome to the 100th episode of Nourish, Eat, Repeat. Guys, we did it. We made it. We're here. Can you, I mean, I can't even believe that we are taping the 100th episode. And I owe all of it to you guys. Seriously. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I am so humbled and honored and blessed to be able to show up week after week and share with you some of my nutrition education and knowledge, um, some of the mistakes that I've made along the way, and just, you know, come each week with a humble heart and an opportunity to share my passion with others. I'm just, I'm very, very grateful. And I hope you guys know how much I appreciate this opportunity. I think I say it, but I don't say it nearly enough as I should. This week, we decided to do something a little different. Um, This past week, I put out on some of my socials platforms that I wanted to answer questions from you. Typically, I pick the topic, but because this is such a big, exciting episode, I wanted to hear your questions specifically. And I wanted to answer them as honestly as I could and help you in your own nutrition journeys. And you guys didn't disappoint. Between the emails and the questions posted on Facebook and Instagram and the direct messages, um, we have a ton of info to go over today. So I did try to narrow it down to um, what I could thought I could answer in, in a roughly 30 to 40 minute time period. And um, I think we're going to have a ton of fun today. Some of the questions were redundant, so uh, I tried to just pull the most important themes out of each question and deliver it. Uh, But yeah, I think we should just jump right in because uh, I want to make sure I can answer as many questions as possible for this monumental podcast episode. So let's jump right into it. Uh, Question number one, what is the number one tip for someone who wants to work on getting a healthier balance in their diet? This is a fabulous question. And the reason I like it so much is because balance is such a hard word to define, but yet it's something we all strive for. Balance is hard to define because it means different things to different people. What is balanced to one is absolutely not balanced to another. And so when you're trying to put parameters and boundaries on an undefinable word, there's a lot of confusion around it. So I like to keep things really simple. I tell all my clients that nutrition is my full-time job. It is not theirs. And so I am going to make this process as simple and as easy and as doable as possible because that's what we need at this point. We don't need um, complicated, hard, 
defeating things in our life. <laughs> we need simple. We need easy. And so the easiest way that I can define balance when it comes to nutrition is I want you to think of the plate. All right. I know we've done this before, but let's it's bears repeating because this is such a foundation principle. Ideally, we want to have three components on our plate. We want to have a lean protein source, a high fiber starch source, and some produce. All right. So lean proteins, things like chicken and fish and turkey and uh, red meat or pork that ends in the word loin, like a tenderloin or sirloin. Um, you can do crustaceans like shrimp or scallops um, or even plant-based proteins like beans. So this is about a quarter of your plate. It's about the size of the palm of your hand and the thickness. All right, so not your fingers, just the palm of your hand and the thickness of your hand. And like I said, it's about a quarter of your plate because just like the what is important, the how much is equally important. And we want, so if we want protein to be a quarter of your plate, we want that high fiber starch to be a quarter of your plate. All right, so maybe a little bit less than the size of your fist. For this, we're talking about potatoes with the skin or whole grain products like pastas and breads. Um, peas and corn can go into this category. Uh, even fruit can go into this category. But we need fiber because fiber keeps us regular and it keeps us full and it keeps our guts happy. Interestingly enough, nobody asked me any poop questions, and I'm so sad about that because you know how much I love to talk about it. So I'm going to sneak in my poop info here. We need to make sure we have fiber at all our meals, okay? So about a quarter of our plate should be that high fiber carb option, and then half our plate should be protein. Or, I'm sorry. I just said the wrong word. Half our plate should be produce, all right? Produce. Now, for me personally, I like to have my lunches and dinners be half my plate vegetables. I tend to get more of my fruit in the morning at breakfast. But you do what works best for you. All right, so half your plate produce, a quarter of it protein, a quarter of it high fiber starch. And that is just a great way to visualize your plate. I always tell people, if you want, go out to the grocery store and buy a red Solo plate. It's already sectioned off that way. And, um, and it's a great way to instill balance of nutrients and also um, balance in emotional satisfaction with your plate. It's not just all vegetables and, and no protein or no starches, um, but it's a good balance of all of them. Now, that's a great way to balance your plate at your meals. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't talk about balancing fun foods into your diet. Um, because we want to have fun foods, right? We don't want it to just only be, you know, 100% fuel foods that are, are healthy. When we feel restricted, we get resentful. And when we get resentful, we get rebellious. So all I wanted to say is when it comes to fun foods, I just want you to plan them. We do this thing at home, um, thanks to one of my clients who told me about this. We do this thing called Wednesday Weekends. And so on Wednesdays, we have a treat. And on one day of the weekend, we have a treat. And we keep it simple. That way, we're not having treats every day. 
Um, but it's also not like this once a week occurrence where we have to wait so long to get there and then we end up binging on all of the snacks. So having it twice a week allows for us to find balance. But for you, that may be three times a week or it may be once a week. Try a couple different things. See what feels best to you. Um, But I definitely recommend figuring out how to incorporate these snacks into your and these treats into your week. Um, It can't be an all or nothing. It does not work that way. So there's balance in your plate by having all three components. And there's balance between what we'll call fuel foods and fun foods um, by having them a few times a week as well. And so that's a great question. Hopefully that answers, answers your question. All right, number two. What are some vegetarian protein options aside from shakes, powders, and supplements? Another great question. So my question back to you would be, are you still doing eggs, dairy, and or fish? Because these items are going to be your highest protein options if you're consuming them. Uh, when it comes to dairy, Greek yogurt is always a great choice. I like the the Siggy's yogurt. Um, that tends to be a little bit higher. The Icelandic um, yogurts are great. Um, cottage cheese is also one of my favorite protein sources. Uh, it's about 7 grams per ounce or seven grams per quarter cup, I should say. Uh, so if you're doing a cup of cottage cheese, that's almost 30 grams of protein, which is, is decent. If you're not doing eggs, dairy, and fish, and you're tending to eat more of a vegan uh, breakfast or lunch or dinner, uh, then we're going to have to go to some of our plant-based sources. And the highest being beans. So I'm talking black beans, chickpeas, uh, lentils, Fabulous, fabulous sources of protein, plus you get the added bonus of fiber. Quinoa is also another great option. It's a complete protein, meaning it has all essential amino acids. It's the only plant protein that has that, so you can make that as a side dish. I like it mixed with um, wild rice or brown rice. I like the Seeds of Change uh, brown rice quinoa packs, and they're already pre-cooked, so all you literally have to do is reheat them. There's also a lot of recipes for like a quinoa porridge in replacement of oatmeal in the morning. Uh, So you can make a breakfast idea out of that. Whole grain alternatives and options. You know, I like Dave's Killer Bread. has about five grams of protein per serving. And so that's one I like to choose. But if you tend to be more of like a pancake waffle type of person in the morning, you could try the Kodiak cake options. Uh, They have the mix. They have the pre-made waffles and pancakes in the frozen section that are also high in protein. Now, I will say that they do have um, protein powder in them. Uh, Some people prefer a pea protein. Some people prefer a soy protein. It just depends on your preference and health history. Then there's your soy items like tofu, edamame, tempeh. There's hemp seed, which gives you 10 grams of protein in just two tablespoons. So they're always a nice addition. And then finally, things like flax, chia seeds, and nuts also have some protein in them. A nice snack would be a whole wheat pita with some hummus. Gives you about 7 grams. So these are probably the options that I would 
say are great protein options if you're not doing um, if you're not doing meat and if you don't want to do the shakes or powders or supplements. You don't have to. You don't have to take supplements. Like if you're intentional, you can get your protein through whole foods. Um, it just takes a little bit of work, a little bit of planning. And if you need help, let me know. I'm happy to help you. All right, number three, how can I fit bourbon into a balanced diet? Yet another great question. I hear this a lot. How do I work alcohol into my diet? I don't want to give it up, um, but I also know I can't be drinking every night. That's not good for my health or my waistline. So how do I, how do I still have my cake and eat it too? Right? And if you're not a, a drinker, you can just go ahead and substitute chocolate. How do I fit chocolate into a balanced diet? We're talking about the same thing here, just a different item, but the same concept. And so my answer to that would be you just plan for it. Just like we talked about planning for those fun foods in question number one, you plan for your alcohol. You decide what is the intersect between having a good time and reaching my health goals. How many drinks does that look like in a week's time? Only you can answer that. Only your liver can answer that. This is why we get routine blood work every year so we know how our insides are handling our outside choices. Otherwise, if we don't get blood work, we just think everything is fine. So make sure you are getting your routine blood work every year. All right. You plan for it ahead of time. You use your prefrontal cortex, that part of your brain that has your goals in mind. When you put yourself in the moment, your midbrain is going to take over. That part of your brain that is all about instant gratification and pain avoidance. When you go out with your friends and you tell yourself, well, I'll just figure it out once I get there. You and I both know what decisions you're making. You're going to be drinking. So we have to make those decisions ahead of time so that we can make our best decision. We never want to make decisions in the moment. Winging it doesn't work. Wishing and hoping and praying that you'll make the right decision in the moment is not a strategy that I get behind. I want our decisions to be intentional. That doesn't mean they have to be super restrictive or boring. They just need to be intentional. This is what I want to do. For a lot of my clients, I mean, the past year, I've seen more clients work at reducing their alcohol intake than ever. You know, the, the pandemic got us in a lot of bad habits. And so now we're working on, you know, trying to reduce that number, not drinking as much during the week and maybe just choosing one day on the weekend. If you are going to drink, I always recommend 16 to 20 ounces of water in between each beverage just so um, <laughs> to reduce the, the hangover the next day, the headaches, um, but also just to make sure that you're staying well hydrated. The other tip is just watch your mix-ins. Right? If you're going to be doing um, soda with that bourbon, obviously that's going to be higher in calories, higher in added sugar. So if you can do your bourbon on the rocks or with a little water. Um, I'm not a bourbon drinker myself, so I'm not quite sure what all the, the best mix-ins for that are. But if you can keep it simple and straight up, it's going to be less calories and um, um, better off in the long run. All right, so fantastic question. You just plan for it. That's the simple answer.
All right, number four, what food should I include when entering menopause? So I actually got a lot of questions about menopause. So I'm going to answer that question. And I'm also going to answer the question of uh, what are what's some advice for women who are experiencing weight gain through menopause, despite healthy eating and active lifestyle. So first, let's talk about what foods to include. Probably the biggest thing that I see that women need to start switching over to is a little bit higher in protein. So I always recommend between 20 and 30 grams per meal um, and then additional protein through your snacks. The unfortunate part is as we age, uh, starting at age 30, we begin to lose muscle mass. And our metabolism is based on how much muscle we have. So if we're continually losing muscle every decade that goes by, our metabolisms are going to be slower. We're not going to be burning calories quite as quickly as we did when we were 20. All right. Um, the other part is, you know, as we're approaching menopause, we're in a different stage of life. So that typically, you know, if we have children, they're older, they're able to be on their own a little bit more, which means maybe parents are going out. <laughs> um, maybe you are getting to enjoy finding yourself again after all those years of, of being with kids. And so you are going out to eat more often, meeting people out for drinks. Uh, maybe you're more sedentary because instead of chasing kids, now you're at a desk job. And so those are some things that influence your, your weight. Um, but I'm a big protein fan. Um, I'm a big fiber fan as well. But I would say that when it comes to foods to include when entering menopause, really aiming for that 20 to 30 grams of protein at each meal plus additional for snacks is what I would put the most emphasis on. Um, also decreasing the amount of processed foods and increasing fiber as we start getting that menopause belly. Because remember, um, your ovaries are your estrogen source. And when your ovaries no longer become your estrogen source, your fat cells take that job over. And your fat cells like to deposit right there in the middle of your body, right around your stomach. That increases your risk of insulin resistance. So we want to make sure that when we're choosing our carbohydrates, we're choosing high fiber carbohydrates as much as possible. So I would focus on protein and high fiber. Um, in terms of the question about women who are already eating healthy and are active and why they're not seeing any success, first and foremost, you're not broken, right? There is nothing wrong with you. This is just a new stage of your life. And menopause typically was a stage where most women didn't get to hundreds of years ago. So we are pretty fortunate to be able to extend the length and, and longevity of our, our lifespans. And that's a good thing. All right. The only thing that I would caution you is to watch out for that line of thinking where it's like, I'm doing everything and I don't understand why it's not working. When you assume you're doing everything, it shuts down your brain to be creative. Instead of that, well, what else could I change, which allows your brain to come up with solutions? If you have already told yourself you've thought of everything, there could be things you're missing and your brain won't find it because you've already shut that process.
process down. So I would say let's, there are a couple key places that we could look. Look at your weekends. Are you drinking more? Are you eating more? Are you going out more? Are you so restrictive during the week that you give yourself permission to uh, go harder on the weekends? All right. Look at the type of exercise you're doing, right? I know we grew up in the area of cardio, cardio, and when all else fails, more cardio. Are you doing any strength training? Are you working at rebuilding that lost muscle mass that happens naturally? Are you preserving the muscle you have? And then the third question is, how much are you eating? Are you eating too little? Remember, not eating enough has just this can have just the same impact as eating too much on your metabolism. And then the fourth thing that I would recommend is get a body scan. All right, call us up. We have a machine in our office that actually looks at the components of your weight. We look at hydration, we look at muscle mass, we look at body fat, we look at balance from left to right, we look um, at your resting metabolic rate, we look at your protein needs. Um, this scan tells us the components of your weight. We had a, a lady in our office the other week that, you know, from the scale, it looked like she only lost 1.8 pounds. But when you looked at her entire um, profile, she actually gained a ton of muscle, lost a ton of body fat, um, gained some weight through hydration, which is always a good thing. Like there were so many great pieces of her scan that the scale couldn't define. And so if you're in this mindset, well, I'm doing everything right and the scale doesn't move, that may be true. The scale might not be moving, but your composition is changing. And so if you're curious, let's check it out. Let's get a scan done and look and see uh, what's going on. And then if you need to make changes, we'll do a rescan in eight weeks and, and go from there and see if the changes you made are actually working or if they're keeping you in maintenance. At least then you'll know. Like I do the body scans myself maybe around three, maybe four times a year. Anytime I change up my workout, I do a new scan. I don't necessarily do it because of my nutrition or weight. I do it for my exercise. Like is the exercise I'm doing making a difference or is it keeping me in maintenance? And I'm not saying maintenance is a bad thing. I'm just curious. A lot of times, well, I think I'm, I'm exercising this many days a week. It should be different. Maybe. I mean, that's all I can say. I mean, I've done exercise programs that I've loved for a very long time, and it hasn't changed my composition one bit. Those exercise plans still have value, but they're just not changing my composition. So, you know, if you're curious, then let's check it out and see um, what needs to be switched around. So that way you're not just treading water and you're actually getting somewhere. So that is my advice on menopause. All right. The next question is what are the do's and don'ts of tracking food? And I actually did a whole entire podcast episode on this coming up it has not aired yet, so I'm not going to go into a ton of it, the answer right now, because I, like I said, I just did a whole episode. I think it's coming up in the next uh, 
three weeks, four weeks maybe. Um, but I'll give you a couple quick tips right now. Uh, number one, always make sure you're looking at your journal. So many of us, we journal our food and then we never look at it again. It's almost as if, check, I completed that task for the day and now I can move to a different task. The whole point of journaling is to identify the habits and the actions that you want to change. So if you are not looking back at those data points and that information, you're missing out on the whole valuable process of journaling. All right, so do make sure you go back and you assess your day. Um, if you're going to use something like a MyFitnessPal, I always recommend choosing the green checked items. They do tend to be a little bit more accurate than those without green checks. When MyFitnessPal was first establishing their database, they were just allowing anyone to enter in information. Uh, one time I had a lady enter in coffee in the morning. And I was trying to, I was so confused, like why her calories were so high. And when I finally opened up her journal, um, when she put in a cup of black coffee, it was like 300 calories. I'm like, that's not right. And she didn't know. How should she know? She was assuming the information was accurate. Um, so uh, it, it can be misleading depending on who put in the information. The green checks uh, typically mean somebody verified that the information is more accurate. So if you're going to use it, um, try to choose foods with green checks next to them. I will say this, though. A don't is don't expect perfection. Did you know that nutrition labels can have up to 20% error? For so many of us, when we start the journaling process, we're looking for 100% accuracy. And so we stress out on which item to put in the journal. Do I pick the burger with 400 calories or the burger with 700 calories? We're using a flawed system. Pick the one in the middle. That's my recommendation. Find one with about 500 calories and pick that burger, 550 or whatever it may be, 600 I'm trying to, I can't even remember what numbers I use, so now I don't know what the middle number is. But pick something in the middle. You're not going to know with accuracy. Again, you're journaling for an idea of your habits and your patterns. You're not journaling for 100% accuracy. And that brings me to my second don't. Stop using the, the, the journals, the digital journals, the online journals. If you start to notice that you're not in alignment with your mental health. If you notice that you're getting super stressed out and panicky and obsessive about journaling, we've now lost the benefit of journaling. So you always need to check in with yourself. Am I doing this for information because I'm curious and I want to make change? Or is this becoming an obsessive pattern that if I don't journal, then I'm going to gain weight and the world will end? There's a big difference between the two. So you always want to be checking in with your mental health to make sure that everything is okay. It's not worth losing your sanity over. For me personally, I probably journal about twice a year just to do a check-in. Your eyes can get generous over time. And so I like to just keep myself honest by journaling every six months or so. I allow myself to journal for one or two weeks at most, and then I move on. It's not something I try to get stuck in. Um, it's just more of a recalibration, and then I'm back out. 
Okay. So again, there's so much more to go into with that. Listen to the episode coming up in the next couple of weeks. I promise it will give you more detail, but great question. All right. Next question. I think we have one, two, three, I have four more. All right. Moving along. What is the best thing for teens to eat when trying to build muscle? This is a great question as well. So let's first talk about how this process works. When you exercise, you break muscle down. You break it apart. It's an injury to the muscle. So what we need to do is once that muscle is broken down, we need to rebuild it. And protein is one of those foods that rebuilds. Okay? So... It's not enough to just eat a lot of protein because excess protein in the diet will be stored as fat. So protein alone isn't going to build muscle. Obviously, you got to put the work in and the effort in. But the protein is part of the restorative process. It's what builds it back up. Uh, you need to make sure that you're having adequate carbohydrates after your workout to get the protein into the muscle. So it's not just about getting enough protein. It's also about getting carbohydrates into your body as well to make sure that that protein can get in the muscle and do the work it's supposed to do. Ideally, we recommend a three to one ratio of carbs to protein. So one of the best options is chocolate milk. Plus, you're not paying an arm and a leg for it. Chocolate milk has the absolute best ratio of carbs to protein. It's that three to one that works really well. Ideally, you want to get that... Uh, nutrition into your body within the first half hour of working out, but you do have up to an hour to optimize repair. Okay. You do not need to buy a whole bunch of fancy and expensive supplements. When it does come to supplements, you know, be careful. Nobody's looking at the supplements to make sure they're safe. Um, there's a whole lot of junk in a lot of supplements. I always recommend if your supplement sounds like a really tasty ice cream flavor, there's probably a lot of junk in it. I just stick with like a plain vanilla protein powder. I get mine at Giant and it's a vanilla whey based protein powder from Nature's Promise, I think, or Nature's Path. I forget which one it is. Whatever Giant's line is, um, that's the protein powder I get. It's $9.99 for a small canister. It's economical. It's tasty. There's not a lot of junk in it. And it does the job. It's about 19 grams per scoop. All right. Your protein needs, though, are based on your weight and your activity. All right. Carbs are also based on your activity and, um, and your sport and what you're doing. So I can't give like a general number for people to hit because it is so individually based. So if you have specific questions, come ask. I'm happy to help. Uh, we also want to make sure that you're getting adequate nutrients like vitamins and minerals. This is what converts carbs, proteins, fats into energy so that you can perform at your best and you can get the workout at the intensity and the duration that you're looking to. But um, yeah, when it comes to building muscle, it really comes down to carbs and proteins. Uh, a little bit of fat in there, but we're really focusing on the carb and protein part. Uh, carbs specifically, we want foods that can be broken down really easily. So this is not the time where we want to do a ton of fiber uh, because we don't want the body to work really hard in that moment. We want to just give it the nutrients it needs so it can quickly and efficiently break them down and get them into the muscle where we need it to do that repair work. So hopefully that helps you. 
Um, but again, if you need more specifics on exactly how much you need, I'm happy to help. Just reach out. All right. Next question. What are the best tips for kids and new gluten-free families? All right. So my, my daughter was just diagnosed with a gluten-free intolerance. She was diagnosed with celiac. What is your tips, best tips for new families navigating their way? So step one is, probably goes without saying, is we need to know what foods contain gluten. Okay. Um, This can be found either online or you can reach out to us. I can send this to you, but we have a, a comprehensive list of foods that absolutely contain gluten and then foods that may contain gluten. So depending um, on the severity, and usually people with a celiac disease, the, the allergy is severe, it can even go down into certain medications or multivitamins or even some makeup can contain gluten. So making sure you have a comprehensive list of what foods include gluten and what does not is always going to be your first and foremost on your agenda. All right. Um, And then the second step is now we need to find alternatives. So thankfully, there are a ton of alternatives at the grocery stores. Most stores even have a gluten-free section, and this is an easy place to start. It may not be the place where you want to end, but it's a good place to start because you can have um, trust that these foods are going to be okay and that they're not going to harm your child. All right, so... Um, thankfully there are a ton of like gluten-free snacks and gluten-free breads, anything that would typically have gluten in it, which is a lot of your grains. Soy sauce also has gluten in it. Um, you're going to be able to find alternatives in this section of the store. The downside to this section of the store is it's also expensive. Like they mark that stuff up (laughs) because they know, uh, you'll pay for it. So as you get more familiar with what foods contain gluten and what does not. I always think of the acronym BROW, like eyebrow. So barley, rye, oats, and wheat. Oats actually don't have gluten in them, but they're processed in facilities that do process uh, foods with gluten in them. So depending on, again, the severity of your allergy may determine whether or not you should do a gluten-free oat. So um, like I said, The gluten-free section of the store can be expensive. So then you want to start working your way at naturally gluten-free foods like rice and potatoes. Um, And then you can do some of your alternative pastas like chickpea pasta or edamame pasta. Uh, There's plenty of choices out there. Rice Krispies are great. Um, They're also a very naturally gluten-free product. Uh, rice checks, those are some foods that kids enjoy that are gluten-free naturally. And so you're just going to work your way and you're going to try things and you become adventurous. Whenever you're trying new foods with kids, I always make sure that you give them language. So it's not a, ew, I don't like this. It's what don't you like about it? Is it the taste, the texture, the temperature? Um, so that you can learn to find foods that maybe the child will enjoy. Um, number three, you got to be your child's advocate. 
Make sure you're talking to their teachers, the servers at restaurants, family members, especially when you're at a picnic or a party or a holiday. Um, And most cases, I always recommend packing something that you know your child enjoys just in case there's not a gluten-free option available. And if you are going to make like a gluten-free cupcake, make some extra so they can share it with their friends. So it's not just a, well, this is my special cupcake and you all get that cupcake. Maybe offer to bring the cupcakes so that way everyone can enjoy. And honestly, nobody notices the difference. So, um, you know, bring some foods to share so that the child can share with their friends. So it's not a, I'm different and I'm not included. This is just what I'm offering to bring. But you absolutely want to make sure you have something available in case something is has gluten in it. Obviously, the kid will get very sick, and so that's a great option for you. And oh, you know what? I just thought of a couple more. That was my actually my fourth tip was find naturally gluten free items. So even things like fruit popsicles, corn taco chips, berry yogurt parfaits, popcorn, rice bowls. Mexican's always a a lovely option because it tends not to have a lot of gluten in it because it's more rice and bean based. Um, So it's thankfully not as challenging as it was 30, 40 years ago. Um, But the newness of it all can feel overwhelming. So please reach out for support if you need it. All right. I got two more questions. How are we doing? Not too bad for time. What are your top breakfast recommendations for vegetarian athletes? So we kind of covered some of this already. We still want to make sure that we have all the components on our plate. Um, and we want to make sure we have, you know, that carb, protein, and fat for optimal nutrient. Uh, especially if you're an athlete, you got to make sure that you're getting everything you need because your body is going to be depleted. You demand a lot from it. You're you're expecting a lot from it. And so we have to make sure these nutrients are readily available and can quickly uh, be converted into energy for whatever your sport is. Um, So again, it comes down to, are you doing eggs and dairy, especially for breakfast? Um, There's a recipe that I've shared before called a Jimbo Special. My husband, Jim, actually invented it. And I use it all the time because it's a great um, post-workout meal, also a great breakfast option. And so it's just a cottage cheese as its base. And then you add some sliced strawberries, sliced bananas, um, a little bit of crushed pineapple, add a little peanut butter and granola. And it's basically a banana split with cottage cheese at its base. And that can be a very filling, um, nutrient-dense breakfast idea for an athlete or honestly anyone because it's really tasty. Um, You could also do some avocado toast with uh, egg on top, either scrambled egg or a fried egg. Smoothies are a great option in the morning for breakfast, especially as the weather turns warmer or even a smoothie bowl. So I notice that sometimes I am just not satisfied with a smoothie. I don't like drinking my food. I want to chew it. And so a smoothie bowl gives me that option because I can actually add more fruit to it and nuts and um, some different consistencies and eat it that way. And I tend to be more satisfied. You could also do like a muesli and yogurt and berries. Obviously oatmeal is always a great vegan choice. And you could add oats and hemp seeds, 
and almond milk, banana, vanilla, cinnamon, and have a nice warm breakfast option. So those would probably be my top choices. Um, of course, I pick choices of foods that I like. <laughs> so hopefully you'll like some of these flavor combinations as well. And then my last question was, what foods reduce acid? There's a lot of information out there about what foods to avoid, but what foods should I include? So this is a fabulous question as well. So when it comes to what to add to reduce acid, we really want to talk about three different components. We want to talk about fiber. We want to talk about like the pH of foods. So we want to choose more alkaline foods to balance that acidic um, nature. And then also watery foods to reduce the acid. So when we talk about high fiber foods, we're talking oatmeal, brown rice, root vegetables like sweet potatoes, carrots, and beets, and even your green vegetables like asparagus, broccoli, and green beans. In terms of more alkaline foods, again, to balance out that pH, bananas work really great here. Melon, cauliflower, fennel, and nuts are going to be your best options. And then finally, foods with a lot of water content to reduce the acid is, that would be more celery, cucumbers, watermelon, lettuce, broth-based soups, and herbal teas. Now, just to note, though, not mint tea because mint can actually aggravate reflux. Mint can make your stomach feel better, but not your esophagus, okay? Um, if you feel like a reflux coming on, some people will do a ginger tea, and that can kind of stop it in its tracks, uh, you can also try a little bit of lemon water and just a touch of lemon, not a lot, with some honey in it. And that also can help uh, navigate through an acidic meal. There's not a, a ton of research done on apple cider vinegar. So it's not something that I freely advise anyone you can try it. The biggest thing with apple cider vinegar, though, is you want to make sure that you're diluting it. So um, you don't ever want to take a straight shot of apple cider vinegar on its own. That will harm your esophagus. You want to make sure that you are diluting it. I think it's a one to eight ratio. So if you're doing um, like eight tablespoons of water in one tablespoon of ACV, the apple cider vinegar. I believe that's the ratio, but um, please, please, please don't ever just take a straight shot of ACV. You'll do more harm than good. All right. Those are the, the questions that, um, that I had written down to field for today. So if your question got answered, that's awesome. If you have other questions that you want me to answer along the way, please feel free to send them to me. I'd love to incorporate them into an entire podcast episode, or we can do another one of these Q&A sessions at another time. But as always, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Now, because we're celebrating, the recipe I'm going to share with you today is a celebratory item. So this is actually one of my favorite things that I bring to parties and picnics, especially over the summer. And it is a Snickers cookie. All right. I don't know if I gave this recipe before. Um, after 100 episodes, I'm starting to get, <laughs> I'm starting to forget which recipes I've given you and which ones I haven't. But 
even if I gave this one to you before, it's such a good one that it bears repeating. So if you are going to a picnic or a party, you're going to make Snickers cookies. All right. And so all you need for this recipe is some refrigerated chocolate chip cookie dough and the mini Snickers candies. So not the fun size, the mini. I always buy the pre-scored chocolate chip cookies. So not the tube, but the one with like the 24 cookies um, scored into the pack. And so what you're going to do is you're going to take two of those cookies out. You're going to smash them in between your palms of your hand. You're going to stick the mini Snickers candy in between the two smashed cookies. So let's see if I can describe this to you (laughs) through voice only without a visual. So you're going to take one of the smashed cookies in the palm of your hand. You're going to put the cookie or the cookie. You're going to put the candy on top of the smashed cookie and you're going to cover it with another smashed cookie. And then you're going to fold the sides over and turn it into a ball of dough. You shouldn't be able to see the candy. It's hidden in there. Okay. So again, two smashed cookies with a piece of candy inside rolled up into a ball so you can't see it. And then you're going to put that on your baking sheet and you're going to go ahead and repeat with the remaining 22 cookies. So even though you have a pack of 24 cookies, you're going to turn them into 12 large cookies with a Snickers hidden in the middle. And then you're just going to bake as directed. So I believe it's a 350 degree oven. Sometimes I think it's 9 to 11 minutes. Um, I usually put it in for 9 to check. Maybe you have to put it in for that extra minute depending on your oven. And then as soon as the cookie is done, you just take it out, let it cool, and they are amazing. And everyone's going to ask you for the recipe, and you're going to pretend that it is the hardest thing that you've ever made, and you slaved over it all day, when in fact, you know, it took you 20 minutes tops from start to finish. All right? So that is your celebratory fun snack recipe to honor the 100th episode of Nourish Eat Repeat. Guys, once again, thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in, for supporting and um, listening to this podcast. I, I can't express how much it means to me. I will see you next week for another episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, visit our website at bodymetricshealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at bodymetricshealth. The book Nourish Eat Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrienne Delgado, and I'll see you next week.